0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, here we are in the month of July, right? And it's, it's hard to believe that the, that the year is going by so fast. We are in July, church, and we've been going through these core values at Gospelite in the month of July where we've got that first letter in the word light as we work through this acrostic. And here it is, laughter. Laughter is our key to ministry. And the next level statement, which is our theme for the year, is living with happiness at the next level. In some of the verses in the book of Psalms and Proverbs that we've been focusing on deal with being filled with laughter, having shouts of joy, or having a cheerful face. We're looking at this idea over an eight-week series called The Pursuit of Happiness. And and we're trying to find the pursuit of happiness by looking at what we called last week a, a roadmap, a divine blueprint to happiness found in the eight beatitudes of Jesus inside the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through Matthew chapter 7. In the first beatitude, Jesus teaches us how to be happy in spite of our circumstances. Because life can be tough, right? Life can be difficult. Life can be hard. And since Adam's sin, the world has broken and nothing works perfectly anymore. In fact, if you didn't, if you didn't know this, I'm sure you did when you got up this morning, but your body does not work perfectly. Amen? I, I just got out of a teen camp in the in the hills of Tennessee, I have no, I was in Pikeville, Tennessee. I think the population was 214. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I preached eight times to teenagers. And when I got up Friday morning and drove eight hours back to Hot Springs, I cannot tell you how I fell in love with that bed of mine in my bedroom. I slept in Saturday morning. Sleeping in for me is 8 o'clock. That was amazing. I'm, I've, I haven't done that in months, but I did. 8 o'clock. Are you proud of me? It was amazing. And my old body got some relief after a week of being out with 150 kids in the middle of nowhere. Pikeville, Tennessee. My old body does not work perfectly. The weather does not work perfectly. Can I get an amen on this one? The economy does not work perfectly. No relationship works perfectly. There's no marriage in this room that works perfectly. Why? Because we have defeats. We have disappointments. This is not heaven. And that's why we pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, there's no defeats. There's no disappointments. But on earth, nothing works perfectly all the time. So how do you rise above the losses in life? That's what we're talking about. How do you rise above the heart aches and breaks of life? How do you rise above the sorrow Because it's interesting in the Bible how it never tries to explain heartbreak and sorrow. But it does tell us how to handle them. And so in the second beatitude, we find in this incredible verse, Matthew chapter 5, in verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be Comforted. Now, the first thing that I notice in this verse is how can happiness and mourning go together? I'm going to say mourning quite a bit this morning, and it's not that one, it's the other one. It's not M-O-R, we're talking about M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Sounds the same, but it's different. How do happiness and mourning go together? How can weeping and joy go together? Mourning is not something that I associate with happiness, just to be honest. I, I think most of you would agree. It's not something we naturally would consider to be something that we'd associate with happiness or, or blessing. I mean, who in their right mind would congratulate a person that's crying? That'd be cruel. Hey, Don, I noticed you've been crying. Keep it up, buddy. I'm really proud of you. That's good. Yeah. Don't stop crying, buddy. You're on a path to happiness. Ludicrous. In the pursuit of happiness, the second beatitude seems so ludicrous when you think about it, so irrational, to be blessed is to mourn. What does it mean by this? What does Scripture teach here? How to handle the losses of life and how, to, how God blesses a broken heart is really where we're going this morning. How God or rather, how to handle the, the, uh, the, the, the losses of life and how God will bless a broken heart is what Matthew 5, 4 is really all about. Now, I'm not sure what you're going through today, but as Chloe mentioned, everybody here is going through something. My guess is either you have recently been through something or you are going through something right now Or in a short period of time, you will be going through something, some sort of family conflict. Maybe someone is going to get a bad health report. I wonder if it could be someone here this morning who recently got laid off of work, or maybe finances are not what you need them to be. Maybe recently you've had a death in the family. I already know there are several in our church who have been through that recently. I was preaching in teen camp this week at in, in Tennessee, and a lot of my illustrations are just things that have happened to me in the last seven days of my life. I live, I live one of those fast and furious lives that a lot happens in a week. And so I usually have pretty fresh illustrations because of that. And so this past week, being in Tennessee and, and preaching, and then standing up in front of the audience and just saying, hey, if you need to come forward and pray, the altars are open. And so this week, in that group of 150 teenagers, as they came forward on Monday night and Tuesday night and Wednesday night and Thursday night, I heard things like, pray for me, my father recently committed suicide. Pray for me, my, my cousin overdosed on fentanyl. Pastor, please pray for me. Right before I left for camp this week, my mom and dad finalized their divorce. This is in a group of kids from the ages of 12 to 18. I can only imagine the heartache that has been brought into the auditorium this morning. Before 9 o'clock this morning, I had received two text messages. It's not surprising. It's pretty much an everyday thing that I would at least receive one per day like this. But two before 9 might be a little heavy for a normal morning. One was from a young man by the name of Jeff. Jeff was part of Gethsemane. By the way, Gethsemane... Stayed home today because they had a few guys that were sick, and they're always so thoughtful when that happens. They, they, stay, they stay in their, uh, in their, in their g- gathering at home, and they watch online. So good to see you guys, Gethsemane. We miss you. But Jeff was a part of Gethsemane House. He went through rehab, and then he was reunited with his wife and four children. Amen? When he got reunited, he quickly, they quickly got, one of their children was diagnosed with leukemia. So Jeff is spending a lot of time, in children's hospital with his son, Devin. Devin's going through 17 radiation treatments as we speak. And the other day, my wife met them. They, they're driving back and forth from Little Rock every day. And he said, man, we are on empty. Is there any way we could get a fill up? And we were able to help them. But here's the point I'm making is that this morning, Devin texted me because he said, we really need prayer because this radiation is really taking its toll on little Devin. I also received a text message from one of those young people at that teen camp that mentioned to pray for a father who's been missing and they think he's overdosed on fentanyl. I guess fentanyl is something a lot of people are overdosing on these days. I hear that a lot, it seems. You say, Pastor, how can I be happy when I'm going through pain and loss? Some of those stories you just told, that's that's so disheartening. That's so heartbreaking. How can anybody be happy when they're going through that kind of loss? And here is the answer, church, by receiving the comfort of God. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this particular beatitude. Listen to this You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear. To you. J.B. Phillips paraphrases it like this How happy are those who know what sorrow means, for they will be given courage and comfort. Notice Jesus did not say, Blessed are the melancholy. Notice Jesus did not say, Blessed is the pessimist. Jesus didn't say, Blessed are the sad. He didn't say, Blessed are the depressed. He is not saying that blessedness is to walk around discouraged with a sad look on your face this morning. The blessing isn't the mourning. The blessing is the comforting. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That's the blessing. In this beatitude, Jesus is teaching us the attitude of being blessed through being comforted in our sorrow. This is the attitude that God says comes from this beatitude. It's the blessing of the comfort of God. Three ways to experience comfort in mourning from this beatitude is where I'd like to go. And on this first one, I'm going to spend an extensive amount of of time. I really believe this one is so critical and it has so many components to it that lead us to finish the sermon quite quickly with our last two thoughts. But I really need you to grasp a hold of this first one. So if you're alert, that's going to be good. Number one, the first lesson I think we learned here to experience comfort is comfort in the mourning of circumstances. We've been talking quite a bit about circumstances, even through beatitude number one. Happiness depends on depending upon God in all circumstances of life, is what we said. We all go through times of mourning. Everybody in this room has gone through, is going through, will go through a time of grieving. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 tells us this beginning in verse 1, that for everything, there is a season. For everything, there is a season of life and a time for every matter under heaven. If you go to verse 4, you find that the subject in which we are speaking about this morning is literally covered. It says that there's a time to weep. And there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. there's a time to dance. The Bible says that sometimes weeping is appropriate. Sometimes grieving and mourning is appropriate. The world is filled with a lot of sadness. There is a lot of pain on this planet. And sometimes the only appropriate logical response to life is grief. In fact, I'm convinced that grief is essential to my health. It's essential to your health. Grief is essential to your mental health. Grief is essential to your emotional health. It's essential to your spiritual health. It's even essential to your physical health. And this, my friends, is the point of the second beatitude. Jesus is saying, God blesses you when you mourn and when you grieve. Because there are going to be thousands of different losses in life, thousands. And God says the only appropriate response, the only appropriate response to the losses of life is not to fake it, but to face it. Don't fake it. Face it. I'm to grieve over my sin. I'm to mourn over the sufferings of this world. I'm to grieve for those who are spiritually lost. Because grief is the tool that God gives us to get through the transitions of life. It's a tool that God gives us. It's what He gives us to get through some of the most difficult seasons of life is to grieve. And through grieving and through mourning, we experience the comfort of God. Because when you go through a tough time, when your heart is hurting, when your heart is breaking and you're grieving... God doesn't want you to suppress it. God doesn't want you to repress it. Rather, God wants you to express it to friends and to confess it to God. And when you do that, when you do that, when you express it, when you confess it, you are on a road to healing. So how do you actually get through it? Well, you don't get over it. Listen, a lot of people think, I'm just going to get over this grief. No, you're not going to get over it. If it's serious. If you've been married a certain number of years and then you get divorced, you don't get over it, but you do get through it. If you have a loved one, a husband or a wife who dies, you don't ever get over that. But you can get through it. You can't go over grief, you can't go under grief, you can't go around grief, but you can go through the grief. And if you're scared to express emotion and you refuse to go through it, it's then that you get stuck. So how do you get unstuck? That's what we're talking about this morning. How do I get unstuck? You let God help you. Let God comfort you. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be Comforted. I want to give you three ways to allow God to comfort you. And these are important. And the first one we talked about in January when we discussed that God is number one in our lives. And right out of the gates, the very first thing we talked about at Gospelite in discussing our core values was we need to depend and realize and recognize the presence of God in our lives. Hey, listen, there is no problem. The conscience presence of God will not solve And yet we struggle with it. In just a moment, we're going to close our service with a response opportunity for us to sing together I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. I am not alone. No, I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. We need that reminder. We need to live in the conscious presence of an almighty God because he is there. Number one, realize that God is with me. You've got to realize that. This is what God does to allow us to experience his comfort. We've got to realize he's with us. I love Psalm 38, or rather, Psalm 34, verse 18. Look at it. The Lord is near. Who is he near to? He's near to the brokenhearted. Who does he save? He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Sometimes we have been hurting and we are hurting and we forget where God is. The fact is this, that God is in your pain. God is in the midst of what you're going through. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. Nothing escapes his eye. Oftentimes I've heard as a pastor, and I've said it myself to be completely honest, nobody knows what I'm going through. False. God knows what you're going through. And God cares. After you realize that God is with you, secondly, release the hurt and release the sorrow. I love this passage in Isaiah 43, and I've used it in different contexts. I want to use it this morning for this, where Scripture says that Isaiah said, remember not the former things. I want you to interpret that with me this morning. Release the hurt, the past. Release it, nor consider the things of old. Why? Because God is doing a new thing. God wants your life to go on. God's got something through the pain, through the sorrow. God's got something He wants to show you. He wants to use you. Realize that God is with you and release the past. Stop focusing on what's lost and start focusing on what's left. It's a lot left. And it needs your focus. And I want to give you four options of what you can do with your hurt and with your sorrow. I'll give you these quickly, but these are four things, four decisions you can make to do with what you have in your life right now that is is hurting and is painful. First of all, you can you can repress it. You can do that. You can pretend it doesn't exist and hold it in. My wife and I have done that before, and it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy for a marriage, it's unhealthy for a church family. It's unhealthy in parenting, to to repress things, to hold things in. When you go through a difficult time in life, do not repress it. Don't hold it in. Number two, rehearse it. Go over it over and over and over and over again. Just just rehearse it over and over again. You're going to torture yourself by doing that. Just keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up. Or you can resent it. If you resent it, it'll cause you to be bitter. It'll eat you alive and destroy you to resent it. My recommendation is to release it and give the hurt to God. Because if you don't talk it out with God, you will take it out on yourself and on others. This is why we need to talk. We need to get it out. We need someone to talk to, sometimes a counselor, a friend, a lighthouse. Come on now. That's why we need to live together. I think sometimes we, 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 get, we fall into this lone ranger Christianity. David talked about this in the Psalms, in Psalm 32, in verse number three, where he said, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. When I was a kid, how many of you remember, this is old school, but how many of you remember Simon and Garfunkel? Anybody? Wow, that's a lot of people. So I'm, I'm, I'm working through this message. I'm, I'm studying this idea of, of releasing it, of talking about our grief, of talking about our sorrow to God and to others. And that song that Simon and Garfunkel wrote a dark song called The Sound of Silence. One of the verses, Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Are you weary? Are you heavy-hearted? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. Are you grieving over joys departed? Tell it to Jesus alone. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. He is a friend that's well-known. You've known others such a friend or brother. Tell it to Jesus tell it to Jesus. Don't keep it silent. Don't keep it inside. Oh, listen, release it. When you go through a loss in life, when you lose a job, when you lose an opportunity, when you lose a friend, you can either moan or you can mourn. I don't recommend moaning. There's a big difference in moaning and mourning. Moaning and groaning is negative. Mourning is positive. uh, Moaning is having a pity party. But mourning is legitimate grief. Moaning is saying, poor me. But mourning is calling out to God in your grief and in your pain. David says in Psalm 39 in verse 2, again about being silent. He said, I was mute and silent. I held my peace, but to no avail. When I did this, my distress grew worse. When you don't mourn when you don't allow God to comfort you, your distress and sorrow only grows worse. Realize that God is with you. Release your pain and sorrow. And number three, rely on God's resources because God has some incredible resources. In fact, I want to introduce you to my wife and I's verse. This is the verse that God brought us to in our sorrow through her illness. It's found in 2 Corinthians in chapter number one in verse three and four. And it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all mercies. It becomes at this point almost a tongue twister to say this scripture. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we've been comforted by God. Crazy, isn't it? Six times in one passage, or yes, five times in one passage, we see we are to allow God to comfort us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who have been afflicted with the affliction that we have so we can help others be comforted by the comfort that God comforted us with. Did you get that? It's alarming what some people are going to for comfort. Pills. Pills are a big way that people are trying to deal with their comfort. Alcohol. Excess alcohol to deal with the pain. Some try an affair to deal with it. Some watch television, a lot of it. Some fantasize by reading novels, and yet others just sleep all the time. All trying to get rid of the pain in life. And yet God gives comfort. In fact, the definition of comfort is to give encouragement and strength. It's the state of physical ease and the freedom from pain or constraint. The ease or alleviation of a person's feelings of grief or distress. Tell it to Jesus. He is the comfort. God wants to comfort all of us. Oh, how we need to be thankful that we can have the God of all comfort comfort us. And God has many ways to comfort us. He uses a lot of different things to comfort us. In fact, let me give you five real quickly, all found in Scripture. Number one, the Scriptures themselves provide comfort. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written... For our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement, the King James says, comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Fill your mind and fill your heart with Scripture. If you're not using Scripture to comfort you, you're missing out on a wonderful tool that God has given us, a wonderful gift that God has given us to go to in times of of, of need. The Word of God gives such comfort. I love Psalm 119 verse 52. When I think of your rules of old, I take comfort, O Lord. The book of Psalms is an amazing book. Can I recommend everyone in this room to, to practice something in the book of Psalms? Go through the book of Psalms, read one chapter a day for the next 150 days. It's not as hard as you, it's not as hard as you think. One chapter a day. You'll have a couple of long chapters. You might have to settle in for a while. But for the most part, it's going to be about a one-minute routine. As you go through the book of Psalms, here's what I'd like for you to do. Take a highlighter, a yellow highlighter, or any kind of highlighter. Every time you come across a comforting verse, highlight that verse. After 150 days, you're going to have a resource in Scripture that every time you need some comfort— You can go to that book in that Bible with those highlighted verses through one of the greatest comforting books in all the Bible and see some of the promises of God that we sang about this morning in Scripture. Secondly, God gives us this to comfort us. Songs. Songs. We experienced that this morning. Amen? Think about Job chapter 35 and verse 10. But none says, where is God my maker who gives songs in the night? We often mourn in the nighttime of life and worship songs are there to direct your heart and give you comfort. I count on one thing. The same God who never fails will not fail me now. He won't fail me now. Amen. Does that comfort you to know God will never fail you? Hallelujah. Great is your faithfulness to me great is your faithfulness to me though the storms may come and the winds may blow i I mean good night Woo! does that help you i was helped this morning jesus jesus you make the darkness tremble jesus jesus you silence fear hallelujah we serve a God who's given us songs in the night. Sometimes those songs we can dig up from an old hymn, and other times we can we can listen on Caleb to a new song been written recently that just stirs us to experience the comfort of God. Songs in the night. Number three, the saints. The saints of God encourage us. Those in the building, those you're sitting with, those around you. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 6 where Paul said when he was in great distress, he said, but God who comforts the downcast, let me tell you what God did for me. He comforted me by sending me Titus. I was was discouraged. I can read between the lines. I was discouraged. I was in jail. I was in trouble. But God sent Titus. God sent Titus. I wonder how many of you have ever experienced the joy of being comforted by another fellow brother or sister in Christ. God provides that. God's given us that. We need each other. God did not intend for us to live the Christian life in isolation. And if you don't have a family, can I offer gospel light as your family? I mean that. We've experienced it for 31 years. There have been some times in our lives where without this church family, honestly, and I say this because of God's goodness. It's not everything is filtered through understanding that God's been faithful to give us this, but we we could not have, I don't think we could have raised our kids or our special needs daughter without the help of our church family. It's unbelievable, even now. Six or seven people coming alongside us at times to help us love. And, and this has been 30, 17 years of people coming alongside us in our church family. People that were beside Carol Ann's bed in the darkest hours of our lives when I wasn't home, pastoring, doing things for the church, trying to juggle it all. And yet, we survived. God helped us through it all. We were mourning, we were grieving, but God was comforting through the saints. I think about Jerry Jiang. Jerry's doing the the computer. He's he's doing the screen. How's he doing, by the way? You doing okay? I can't tell. I hope it is. If you were here on Champion Christian College's graduation night, you saw a fine young man step behind the pulpit and awarded the salutatorian of the class, Jerry. You've seen Jerry. There's not many... Asians in the church. There's a couple. I married one. Oh, Jerry. Jerry got up and gave a speech. And here's what it was. It was a thank you speech. And here here who was in it? You. Person after person in this church, including the whole church. All Jerry did was thank you for being there for him. Because his mother and father, though he's able to communicate via a phone call on, 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 on rare occasions... He's got a church family, and his parents are thankful. And I just testify on behalf of Jerry that you're not alone. When you've got a church family, you've got family. We need each other. That's why I believe you need to be in a lighthouse. You say, man, I've got some pain in my life. Well, I believe God has a redemptive purpose for your pain. This is the highest and best use of the pain that you're going through. God does not want you to waste any of your hurt. God did not waste any of his pain. And if you've had a problem in your life that you've gone through, God intends for you, and I believe you're obligated to help somebody else go through that same problem. They need your comfort. They need your help. And you may very well be the source of comfort from God to them. Who better to help a special needs mom than a mom who has a special needs child? Who better to help a parent who's lost a child than a parent who's lost a child? Who's better to help someone who's lost a limb than someone who's lost a limb? Who better to help someone who's gone through the pain of addiction than someone who's gone through the pain of addiction? Right now, you are in one of two categories— You either need help because you're hurting or you need to help others. One of the two. And then number four, I'm grateful today that God has provided a staff to comfort me. Psalm 23 is amazing, isn't it? Verse four, Psalm 23 is amazing, period. But Verse four says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Listen to this, church. This is so good. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's an amazing thing. And yet I I grieve over those who don't have the great shepherd in their lives. There's nothing like having a shepherd. Listen, just like the shepherd cares for the sheep, and the sheep goes astray, and he goes and finds that sheep, brings that sheep back in. Aren't you grateful today that we have a great shepherd who has a staff that when I get off base, I mean, he just, (laughs) he gets me back in, in line. He he, he comforts me with His staff. He cares for me as a result of that. I'm so grateful today that His rod and His staff comfort me to have the knowledge that God is looking out for me like a shepherd, His sheep. This is a great comfort. And then finally, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of the living God. John chapter 14 and verse 16. I will pray the Father that He shall give you another comforter, that He may abide with you forever. Praise God for the comforter, the sweet, holy ghost of God. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. He comforts us. We have the same sorrows as those without Christ, but we don't sorrow the same way as those without Christ. He comforts us. He mends us. He encourages us. You are not alone. And if you're hurting today, you are not alone in your hurt. These sources of comfort are available to you today. And that's why I think it's important that, church family, that we become a little more concerned about those around us. A little more concerned. And we're asking questions like, Deblin, how can I pray for you, buddy? Your wife's gonna have a baby in how, how long? Next week. Wow. I'm so excited. But we can pray for Deblin and his wife as they are going to give birth to this child. They've been coming for about three or four months now. Not many people know them. I just let the cat out of the bag. Sorry. <laughs> he's from Louisiana. He can take it. I love this family. But I've been thinking about him and, and, and praying for him. And I know, I know he's, he's, they're busy, and you've got a job on the road. And all I'm saying is the more we get to know people, the more we ask that question, hey, what's going on in your life? How can I pray for you, Zoe? 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 You might just share something with me. Hey, we prayed with you last week. I think your prayer might have got answered. I'm not sure, but we pray. I love you, man. Who else is hurting? Ah, it's okay. I'm going to repress it. I'm going to keep it in. No, no. We love you. It's okay. We're not going to gossip. We're not going to spread. We just, we just want to know how we can pray. How, we can, how can we support you? What kind of way can we come alongside you? Oh, listen, I love this. Number two, comfort through mourning of conviction. I'll I'll quickly finish these last two points, I promise. You see, I believe that there's something about mourning in our conviction over our sin. If you want to jot Psalm 51 down, you can read it later. It's David's mourning over his sin. It's one of the most beautiful chapters in the book of Psalms. I want you to notice, though, a New Testament passage. That that lists two types of sorrows very clearly in Scripture. I want you to see them. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's the first one. As it is, I rejoice not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas... Worldly grief or sorrow produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in this matter. We clearly see two types of sorrow here the first one is worldly sorrow. These are things that we suffer because of our sin. And throughout Scripture, we see that there are consequences to sin. And, and oftentimes, we suffer because of our sin. Worldly sorrow is moaning and not mourning. And moaning is not productive. Moaning is, mourning is negative. Mourning is positive. This is the type of sorrow that Judas had, and it led to remorse, regret, and suicide. We see in Matthew chapter number 27 to verse 5 that Judas threw down the pieces of silver into the temple. He departed. He went out and hung himself. Judas was sorry that he didn't get, that he got caught. That's what he was sorry about. He didn't have godly grief that led to repentance. He had worldly sorrow. But then notice in the text there's godly sorrow. And godly sorrow is when God uses our mourning to turn us back to God and to find comfort. This was the type of sorrow that Peter had that led Peter to repentance. If you remember in Luke chapter 22 when Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, Simon, Peter, Satan desires to to have you that he might sift you as wheat. He said, but Pete, listen, I'm praying for you that your faith fail not. And when you're converted, he said, strengthen the brethren, Pete. When you get things right, strengthen the brethren. Peter's response to the conviction of Jesus was, you got the wrong guy, Jesus. I'm the best Christian you know. I mean, I'm close to you, Jesus. I mean, I'm so close, I would go to prison or die for you, Jesus. So I'm not sure who you're talking to, but it ain't me, sir. I'm convinced Jesus might have chuckled just a little bit and said, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. (sniffs) Yeah, whatever. Not me. Anybody know what happened? Before the rooster crowed, Peter denied him three times. So what was the difference between Peter and Judas? Luke 22, verse 62. The Bible says that he went out and wept bitterly. Peter repented and grieved over his sin. And Simon Peter was restored, and he went on to preach at Pentecost and see 3,000 saved. And today we can say, when we preach, turn in your Bibles to 1st and 2nd Peter. Thank God. The difference between worldly grief or sorrow and godly grief or sorrow. We can repent and find forgiveness of our sin. Psalm 38 and verse 18 says, I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. Hey, church family, God is not done with you or me or anyone in this room. He is the God of forgiveness and comfort. And when we mourn and when we have godly sorrow, it leads us to God. And that is a true blessing. Amen? That's a true blessing to come back to God. Sometimes in our life, mourning has to come. So we'll see our sinful, helpless condition, which moves us to God. That's why the psalmist said his affliction was a good thing. It was a good thing that I was afflicted. Listen to this in Psalm chapter number 119, verse 67. He said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I've kept your word. He said in Psalm chapter 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Why? Why? So I could learn your statutes. I could learn your word. Church family, here's how it works. The morning comes. We repent of sin and get the comfort of God. And that's a blessing. That's the pursuit of happiness. We're comforted in our morning. The sorrow may hurt. The pain may hurt. But if it leads you to God that's a good thing that's a good thing there you'll find the god of all comfort the hope the help the healer and then in closing we find comfort from mourning will cease amen can i give you a pretty cool passage revelation 21 verse 4 i know we haven't had a lot of spots for amens in this service it's not like a highly popular amen service and it's, it's, it's still early in the morning, but can I give you an amen verse? Revelation 21, verse 4. He's going to wipe every tear from your eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Amen. The comfort of heaven will more than compensate for the mourning of earth. Listen to this passage of the rich man and Abraham. Luke 16 in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. He called out Father Abraham have mercy on me. The rich man said send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said child remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus In like manner, bad things, but now he is comforted and you are in anguish. One day we're going to leave this veil of tears and we're going to wake up in heaven. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, I can see it afar for the father waits over the way. To prepare us a dwelling place there. Miss Yoshida. In the sweet by and by. He's going to meet you on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by. We shall meet. On that beautiful. Shore. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be comforted. The hope of heaven. Brings comfort. Before I show you one last verse, I want to read you a passage that I read at nearly every funeral, especially if they're saved. I love this passage. It's so inspirational. Listen to this. It's in First Thessalonians chapter 4. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Look at the last verse. Wherefore. Another with these words. May these words comfort you, follower of Christ, disciple of Jesus. If you're born again today, if you're saved, may these words comfort you that there is a place that Jesus is preparing for us today. But if you're here in this building and you've never been saved, if you've never truly come to a place where you have had godly sorrow over your sin, Father, Forgive me of my sin. I'm sorry, God, for my sin. I deserve eternity in hell. But God, what you did for me on the cross, by shedding your blood, by dying and being buried and raising again, I put my faith in that and that alone to save me, God. Not my good works, not my being in church, not baptism, Jesus, but what you have done for me. If you've never cried out to God, in your own version of a sinner's prayer, I encourage you today to do that. In just a moment, when we give this invitation, we'll give you an opportunity to come forward. And if you'd like to pray with me before the service, during, I mean, during the invitation or after the service, I'd be glad to do that. But Before we close, I want to have another corporate prayer with you before we sing. And I've prepared this prayer as we did last week just for us to segue into our response. Would you pray it with me? Let's do it together. Ready? Heavenly Father, thank you for seeing us even though oft times we feel perhaps you have forgotten us. Lord, we know through your word that's not true. You see what breaks our hearts. You see what keeps us up at night when everyone else is sleeping. You see those places in our hearts that are so hurt that we feel hopeless and helpless. I'm so thankful for your word and that it comforts us in our sorrows. Life is not always fun and great, but you are always great. We don't know what the next week holds, but we know with you in our lives, we have the strength to be filled with hope. Father, we pray that you would redeem our pain and bring purpose out of it and that we'd use what's happened in our lives for your glory and for your honor. Lord, use me to be a comfort to someone else who you caused to cross my path. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, shall we?